All right, let's take out our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. A great spot to read from the book of Deuteronomy, as we're doing a survey of it, is in chapter 6. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, last week we covered the book of Numbers and we talked about how within the book of Numbers it covered the largest section of the 40 years. About 38 out of the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert was covered by the book of Numbers. Deuteronomy is another one that covers just a short time period but is looking toward an extended time period. Because what's happening is Numbers brought them up right to the Jordan River. Remember, they'd been brought up to the Jordan River before and they refused to cross and go into the Promised Land. This time, they're going to make the journey. They're going to cross the river and go into the Promised Land. We looked in the book of Numbers and we saw that predominantly through that 40 years, it was a negative example. The generation right before them that was leading the way as they came into that 40-year time period sinned against God and got themselves excluded from the Promised Land and they would be wandering in the desert for these 40 years because of their unbelief. But now, the next generation, those that were under 20 years old back at the time when they first came out of Egypt, those that were under 20 years old when the Israelites rebelled against God and said, we're not going into the Promised Land. Under 20 years old when they said, God brought us out in the wilderness to kill us and to kill our children. That generation gets to go into the Promised Land. It's a new generation. It's going to have new leadership. Moses is not going to go into the promised land either. He's going to go up on top of Mount Pisgah and get to see it from a distance, but there God's going to take him home to be with him. So there's two people that have lived through all this time that are going to go into the promised land, and those are the two spies that wanted to obey God in the beginning, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is going to take over for Moses. They're a new generation. they got new leadership. They're going to have a new land that they're going into to take over and that God is blessing them with and giving them with. So this is a real opportunity. It's a time for a fresh start for the nation of Israel. Now, because of that fresh start, it's also an opportunity for Moses. You can really see the heart of Moses within the book of Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy is, as the title says, it's a second giving of the law, but it's much more than that. It's not just a reiteration of a law. It basically kind of breaks down in the structure of it. It looks like it's kind of four separate sermons that Moses preaches to the children of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. And the message is about the law that they've already received. So in one sense, it is a second giving of the law. 
But in another sense, it's much more than that because you see in Moses this shepherd's heart, this kind of this pastor's heart, as he has just fondness for the children of Israel, mixed with a little frustration because there's about three different times that he blames it on them and says, look, it's because of your hard-heartedness that I'm not going into the promised land. So there's a little friction there. But Moses is wanting this new generation going in with new leadership into this new land. He's wanting their fresh start to be a good one. And he's wanting them to make a renewed commitment to God, which they do by the end of the book, a renewed commitment to the covenant that God has made with them. And he wants to see them successful as they go under the leadership of Joshua into this new land. What's the best guarantee of their success? For Moses to bring up again the commands and the statutes and the laws that God has given them that will be the guiding force in their life so that they take the best shot at this fresh start. Well, you know what? Sometimes we need fresh starts as well. Sometimes people need a fresh start in their occupation. Sometimes people need a fresh start in their relationships. Sometimes people need a fresh start in their faith. Sometimes we get kind of bogged down or we get off track and we need to get a reset and we need to get realigned. Talk about sometimes recommitting our life to Christ. And that's really what Israel's doing at this point is they're kind of recommitting their life to to Christ as they go on into this new and this promised land. Well, that's what we want to consider here this morning is this idea of a fresh start. Well, as we look throughout the book of Deuteronomy, there are several things that are repeated often that really stand out as a key elements or key steps in getting the most out of this fresh start that they have before them. And these are things that Moses is going to repeat over and over in their presence. And these are things that they're basic. You ever notice that? You ever notice when you get off track or life gets too cluttered that sometimes when you need that fresh start, when you need that new invigoration, it really is more about getting back to the basics. It's about just kind of finding finding the center again. Finding the things that that's what life is all about. I know I've seen it I don't know how many times in the sports world. Where a guy's in a slump in his, in his, maybe he's a quarterback of a football team or a, a pitcher on a baseball team or something like that and they get into this slump and they're trying to figure it out. Almost every time I've ever seen one of those kind of stories, it always ends up with them going back to the basics and finding that there's something that they've let slip and they just need to get back to the basics of what they're doing, refine their center and then keep going and they become successful again. Well, that's usually the way it is in just about everything. Get back to the fundamentals. Find the core. What are the core issues? What are the core values? And that's what Moses is doing with the children of Israel. The last generation failed. The new generation has an opportunity to fail or to succeed. Moses is trying to give them the best shot at succeeding. And what does he do? Back to the basics. What are they? Well, the first that we see within this passage that we're reading here this morning and that stands out within the book of Deuteronomy is love God. It's plain and simple. Love God. That answers a lot of, a lot of issues, a lot of things. And you know what? A lot of times I notice that people often have a, a real misconception about reading the first five books of Moses or, or the law of God. And we get this idea that during the time of the law, it was all about just keeping the rules. 
And then during Christ, in Christianity, it's not just about keeping the rules, it's about a relationship. You know what? Absolutely not true. Now, in Christ, it's about a relationship. That's absolutely true. In the law, it was about a relationship. God was not just looking for a a cold, hard obedience to the rules. He wasn't just looking for a people that could follow the rules. He was looking for a people that because they loved Him so much, they wanted to follow the rules. That's what He was looking for. He was looking for people that had a heart for God. Not just people that would keep a a level of ethics or a level of morality within their society. But if you have the first, if you have the love for God, you'll have the ethics and the morality. You can strive to maintain the ethics and morality and not have a love for God. Isn't that what Jesus ran into in His day? Jesus ran into His day. The religious leaders of His day were all about trying to keep the ethics and the morality without the heart. And Jesus says, you're like a whited sepulcher. You're all painted clean and shiny on the outside. You're full of dead men's bones on the inside. Well, that's not just a new thing. You know that Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy more than any other? In Christ's temptation, when you stood before Satan for those 40 days and faced that temptation, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy with all three of the temptations that Satan brought before him. Christ is a fulfillment. Christ brings into picture the reality of what Moses wanted to accomplish with Deuteronomy, what God wanted to accomplish with the law. We see it fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that same heart is involved in both of those things. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse 9, it says, Only be careful to watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart. As long as you live, teach them to your children and to their children after them. The passage that we read in, in chapter 6, it's the great Shema, the kind of Israel's theme song, if you want to look at it that way. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. The very first part of that is that you will love God. That's what he wanted. And all through Deuteronomy, he emphasizes that same theme. In chapter 4, verse 29, he says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. God says, I'm making myself very available to you. I only have one condition. If you seek Me with all your heart. If you're going to do it haphazardly, then I'm not really itching to be found. But if, if I've got your heart, then you will have Me. Also in chapter 5 and verse 29, it says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear Me and keep all My commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. This next statement, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is found in chapter 6 and verse 5, 10, verse 12, and 11, verse 13. Another statement found in a couple different places, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart in 6, 6 and 11, 18. In chapter 8, verse 2 and chapter 13, verse 3, in both of them, he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
And in chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So you see, everything that God is focusing on here, He wants them to love Him with all their hearts. He tested them in the wilderness to know if their hearts were true to Him. And His biggest concern is that they will not follow Him with all of their hearts. In chapter 10 and also in chapter 30, it says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Again, as the previous generation had been. In chapter 26, verse 26 says, The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. We just read a lot of a lot of verses that just talked about how God was looking at the heart of the people and He wanted them to love Him with all of their hearts. And He was concerned that they wouldn't and that their heart would be divided and that they would worship other gods or that they would go astray. Everything had to do with the heart of these people. You know, it's, it's no different today. God's still judging the hearts. God's still looking within us. And He's not just looking to see if we can follow the rules. He's looking to see if our heart is for Him. Now, if your heart's for Him, you're going to follow the rules. It would be contradictory not to. But what God really wants is that love. If we're at that point where we need a fresh start or where our faith needs to be kind of given a shot or rejuvenated, that right there, probably do it. But that's not all God has to say on the subject. Not only do we need to love God, But we also need to, and one leads to the other. These are really two kind of inseparable things. But not only do we need to love God, but we need to live for God. And if you have one, you definitely have the other. It's kind of like I think of the epistle of 1 John. Right? Those three little books toward the back of the Bible. The first one is five chapters. He states his purpose in chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have been written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's dealing with people that say, hey, I'm trusting Christ. I believe in Christ. And he's saying, okay, now, then how do you know for sure that you're forgiven? How do you know for sure that you're saved? He says, let me line up your statement with your life. Does your, In other words, does what you say with your mouth that I believe in Christ, does your life back that up? Because if it's really in your heart, it's also going to be in your actions. And so what he does with the people is he says, look, if you say that you love God, but you're not keeping His commandments, you're a liar. Because you can't love God and not also love His commandments. Because His commandments are an expression of who He is. They're an expression of His character. And so if you love God, you're going to keep His commandments because that's who He is. And then he gives another example. He says, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, again, he says, you're, you're a liar. You're not doing the truth. To love God and hate your brother, those are two contradictory actions. He says, it just, it just can't be. And that's what First John is all about. Is He just keeps taking things like this and says, look, you say that you love Christ. You say that you are following Christ. Is your life backing it up? You should see fruit from that in your life. If you can see fruit from that in your life, then obviously you're a believer. You're saved. Well, that's what we also see through the book of Deuteronomy is these two things coming together, love for God and the keeping of His commandments. So, in other words, living your life in a way that's consistent with the character of God and with the commands of God. You know, in chapter 11, verses 18 through 20, it says, 
Fix these words of mine in your hearts. You see that? You see the connection? We have the words of God or the commands of God. He uses many different words of commands, statutes, words. And the words of God, the commands, and the heart of the person. He says, these words of mine are to be in your heart. So for us to have a heart for God, we've got to have a heart for His Word because that's His communication with us. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, that's in a nutshell, it's, kind of, it's very similar to what we already read in chapter 6. God says, look, I want my words in your minds and in your heart. Why? Because I want your heart loving me. And so if we love God, we're going to live for God. I love what he does with it. He says, I want you to take them. I want you to bind them to your wrist. So with your hands, the things that you do. I want you to bind them on your forehead. (laughs) Hanging right down on your forehead, right between your eyes. In other words, whatever you set your gaze on, you're looking right past the Word of God, right through the Word of God. He says, I want you to put these things on your doorposts of your house. And you know what? The Jewish people took them very literally. When they got settled in, in the land of Israel, they made little copies of Scripture. And they put them in a little box. And they'd put that right outside the doorpost, on the doorpost of their house. And when they'd go into the house, they'd reach up and touch that little thing. They also made things called phylacteries. Phylacteries are little containers. And they did the same thing. Make little, little copies of Scripture, little passages of Scripture, and stick them in those phylacteries. And they actually made it. So you'd wrap it around your wrist, and it would hang on at your hand. And they actually made one that you'd take and you'd tie around your head and it would hang on your frontlets, right there on your forehead. They took them very literally. I don't think that's quite what God intended, although I like the symbolism. I think God was saying, look, make this, make my word every part of your life. In both the passages, when he talks about teaching your children, he says, be teaching them, you know, family devotions are an awesome thing. I think family devotions are great. When you're putting your kids to bed or something at night, that is a great time to, to be able to open up the Bible or tell them a Bible story, pray with them, have some time as a family. That is a great thing. I loved it doing it with my kids. I love doing it with my grandkids when they spend the night. That is very valuable. But you know what? If you do that, you've not fulfilled this command yet. Because God says, look, I'm not telling you to have a devotion time. What I'm telling you to do is be devoted he said, when are you supposed to teach your children? Well, you teach them when you get up. And you teach them when you sit down. And you teach them when you're walking along the way. In other words, what he's saying is you go throughout your whole day. You should have reasons for why you do what you do. That you do this because it honors and glorifies God in this way. And so you need to be explaining that to your children. Constantly pointing out to them, look, we do this because of our relationship with God. Something great happens. Man, isn't it awesome that God would allow us to experience this great blessing? It would be constantly, whether you're going about your business, sitting down to eat, getting up to do something, no matter what you're doing, constantly be pointing them toward God. Why? Because your life is constantly pointed toward God. Because your heart is totally in love with Him. That's what He's looking for. If you go through Deuteronomy, chapter after chapter, you're going to find that this is coming up over and over and over. In fact, I thought it was pretty cool. I noticed right at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them. 
that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. But then you, you read through chapter 4, and then you hit chapter 5. And chapter 5 starts out, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And then also, in the passage that we read, what does he do? He starts out exactly the same way. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping His statutes and His commands. And I could go on. But the point is, over and over and over, He keeps giving them the same thing. He starts chapter 4. Here's, these are the commands that I gave you so that you can do them. And then he gets to chapter 5. These are the commands I gave you so that you can do them. Chapter 6. These are the commands I gave you so that you can do them. Some places I didn't even, the spots in the middle of the chapters that say the same thing again. He's continually, Moses is continually saying, look, this book, you're going in as a new people. You're going a new generation, new leadership. Same book. Same laws. Same God. Wants your same heart. Wants your same life. That's why it's really cool. When you get up to Deuteronomy chapter 17, he talks about kings. They don't even have kings yet. They're going to go through the time under Joshua's leadership, and then they're going to go through 13 judges, and then finally they're going to say, and not finally as it's a good thing, because it wasn't, they're going to say, give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. God knows that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God says, one day when you say to me, give us a king, so we'll be like the other people, He says, you know what? I'm going to give you a king. But this is what your king has to do. Your king has to take this book of the law, has to take this law, and when he gets into office as king, he has to sit down and write out his own copy of the law. Now he would have a copy of the law, and it had to be inspected by the priests. And then the king was required to every day read from that copy of the law to make sure he didn't get off track in leading God's people. And even when you get to Joshua, when Moses is off the scene and Joshua is a new leader and they go into the promised land, even during that time with Joshua, what is the key to Joshua's success? Right at the, right at the beginning chapter, chapter 1 of the book of Joshua, verse 8, God tells him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. See, as Joshua goes to lead this new generation and this fresh start into the promised land, God says, you better be focused on this book. In that book is where you know me. You better be meditating on that book day and night so that you can observe to what? Do everything that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. One of the awesome things about this is if you do all that, it's to your benefit. It's to your advantage. You know, this last week in the youth group, we were talking about how we can get distracted from our relationship with God and we can focus on things or we can focus on events. We can get focused on maybe it's a, maybe it's a sport or maybe it's a, an academic pursuit or, or maybe it's a, a hobby or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it, it can be a, anything. 
A lot of things in life are good for us to participate in. They're a blessing from God, but we don't recognize it as a blessing from God. And we get more focused on the thing than the giver of the thing. And it leads our heart astray. We get focused on that thing instead of about God. And you know what we recognize in that? Is that when we do that, you know who gets shortchanged? Us. Because look, you can, you can enjoy a hobby. And, it's, and, and that's what it is. It's just a hobby. But if you recognize that a hobby is something that God, it's an avenue that God has allowed you to use some of your creativity, which you have because we were created by a creative God, and that you can use that creativity to bring honor and glory to God, then all of a sudden your hobby just took on a new dimension. Your hobby just stepped up to a new level because now it is no longer just a hobby. It's a hobby in which you are expressing the glory of God and you're experiencing worship. You can go have a lot of fun in a hobby and it's, it's just that. But if you just raise it to a whole new level if it's worship. And so you see, when we get sidetracked in following other things, you know who gets hurt from us? Us. And God knows that. So when God gave us His commands, His commands are to our advantage if we follow them. Our life works better when we work it God's way. When we follow His commands. And He says that over and over and over through the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 4 and verse 40, Keep His decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God gives you for all time. God says, look, follow these commands so that it may go well with you. You know that little phrase, it may go well with you, is found eight times in the Old Testament. Every single time is in this book, the book of Deuteronomy. God says, follow these. And He gives them specific commands. Chapter 5.16, there it is again, that it may go well with you. Chapter 6 and verse 3, that it may go well with you. Chapter 6 and verse 18, that it may go well with you. Chapter 12 and verse 25, so that it may go well with you. And 19.13, so that it may go well with you. And chapter 22, verse 7, so that it may go well with you. You see, God is saying over and over and over, look, follow my commands, follow these decrees. Why? Because it's to your benefit. You know, when I was raising my kids, and I had rules for them, and the rules, contrary to popular belief, they weren't just for my sadistic enjoyment of sucking all the fun out of their life. They actually had reasons and purpose to those rules. And you know what the reason and the purpose was? Their well-being. It wasn't fun for me to be chasing them down to make sure they're obeying the rules. But I love them enough to do it. And you see, that's exactly what God is saying. He's saying as you're following these rules, as you're living your life according to My principles, this is for your benefit. I can remember telling one of my kids one time, I said, I'm on your side. In fact, I'm more on your side than you are on your side right now. Because you just don't have the vision to see what you're up against. And I do, because I've been through this. That's what God was saying to the children of Israel. Live your life for me. It's to your advantage. And then lastly, leave a legacy. If I can do these three things in my life, I'll die happy. If I can love God with all my heart. If I then flesh that out, which you'd have to if you truly love Him, and live for Him, and leave that legacy to my kids and grandkids and my church family. I'm a happy man. That's fulfilling. That's it. Back to the basics. What's God tell us repeatedly in Deuteronomy 6 right there? 
These commands, these statutes, they need to be in your heart and they need to be in your kid's heart. Teach them to your kids. You can't teach them to your kids if they're not first in you. With that which is in you, give it to them. Leave it to them as an ongoing legacy. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 through 20, right in the middle there, teach them to your children. Deuteronomy chapter 32, this is right toward, getting toward the end of the book. He said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. God was making it very clear to the nation of Israel that not only was it about the parents and their faith and their walk with God, it's about leaving that legacy, passing that on to their children and to their children's children after them. God wants us to love Him with all of our heart. He wants us to live for Him through our actions. Leave that legacy for our children and grandchildren. Impact the communities that we live in.